You picked a great night to, uh, to be with us and to come back 710. I started 710, let's see, in 2007, I was just talking to my wife actually about this, but in 2007, um, I got a call from a guy named Tyler Johnson who was leading a ministry out in Arizona called 710, and I was working as a kind of a college pastor at a church in Tallahassee, Florida. Shannon? No? Okay. <laughs> okay, thanks. That's where Shannon's from, too. Um, and uh, he invited me to come out and be a, a kind of an associate pastor with him. And for me, it was like greatest opportunity in the world. I really, really loved working with college students and young adults and just felt like that was what God had wired me to do. And I've always felt just such a heart for this age stage because my story when I was in that age stage was such a tragedy because <laughs> I just literally wasted so many years. There's a um, Hootie and the Blowfish lyric, no Hootie fans, <laughs> uh, where he says, I was wasted and I was a waste of time. And that pretty much describes about a decade of my life from uh, kind of high school all the way through college. Is that right, a decade? Yeah, I was in school for a long time. I should be like a neurosurgeon by now, but I, I'm not. So uh, yeah, so, and when God saved me out of that, I just really... Um, and I couldn't articulate it at the time, but just I really wanted to just stand in that gap and just really proclaim over that age age and college students and just that Jesus is better and that you really don't have to waste so many years of your life. Um, there's a, a guy named John Piper who's a pastor, author, and he has this whole, that's his whole shtick, is don't waste your life. And he's got a book and a message, and it's, the kind of, and it's, and it's great. But God used that in a radical way to really just to shape me in so many ways. Um, and so I just feel like that's such a message of freedom. And so I just thought, man, if I had any opportunity or environment where I could do that in age stage, I would absolutely love that. So that happened in 2007, moved out here. Um, I spent about six months, Tyler and I working together. It kind of was underneath Tyler. And then Tyler left that position and he like handed this amazing, incredible ministry to me. Uh, and so for the past like 12 years, I've tried to figure out how to actually do this, and I felt, I have this picture in my mind. You remember the cartoon Bambi? Hey, Charles, how you doing, man? Come on in. <laughs> it's like when the guy comes late to class, except this time it's church, so, whoa. Uh, anyway, <laughs> hello, Charles. Um, like, you know when Bambi, like, starts to walk in the cartoon, he's, like, all, like, no one's seen Bambi, just me? I love it. It's been 12 years of feedback like this, so it's been pretty exciting. <laughs> I love it. But I've kind of like always felt like that picture of uh, was me trying to figure out how to be like a pastor. Uh, and I've, I've worked with some amazing people, and uh, I've had some really incredible people. There's a guy named Matthew Brazelton, who's a worship leader out at Redemption Gateway. Ben, who's back in a run and running sound for us. I worked with him for a while. Jed has worked with me for a long time. Shannon, Connor, Elisheba, uh, Corey, and like small group leaders have just been amazing throughout the whole kind of like experience. Well, tonight is um, the thrilling transition from Jed and I's leadership to uh, a team that is Corey and Connor and uh, Shannon and Elisheba. And um, no, I didn't do anything wrong if you're like, oh, man, Paul, really? <laughs> they finally caught him. No, I, we didn't do anything. <laughs> Nothing bad has happened. In fact, this is like the, this is the most best 
perfect thing for, for, uh, for this ministry. So um, my role here at Redemption Gilbert has changed. If you're, if you're not familiar with the, this church, or I, I know a lot of you don't care about this, but it's whatever. I get to sit up here and talk. So um, we have three lead pastors, and I'm one of them here, and so my role is kind of expanding there. Jed's actually moving into... Um, um, more leading worship for the church as well, too. So um, that's really awesome. And then the the team that just God has brought together and built, I am so thrilled to just watch him grow uh, these four young people, except for Shannon, um, together and just how God has so uniquely gifted them and the love that they have for you, the love they have for Jesus, and the love that they have for, for each other. So... Um, I'm still going to, like, come into 710 from time to time. Jed's going to still kind of lead worship. You'll still see him here. But as far as our leadership over it um, tonight kind of marks the transition from us to that team. And I'm just thanking God all over the place for that and, and how that is. And we, we've talked, honestly, for a long time about how we should do this night because we're, like, first of all, I, I don't know who cares. Some of you are like, who is this guy again? Which I totally get. And the whole idea is that, um, that, you, wouldn't, that you wouldn't really know who I am. Um, I have a prayer every time I preach at 710, and I just ask God that when people leave, um, they would not talk about me, but they would talk about Jesus. That it wouldn't be like, oh, he did this, or or they wouldn't talk about Jed, or they wouldn't talk about Connor, they wouldn't talk about anybody who's up front, but that they would, that Jesus would be the one that they talk about, and so um, that's why this is a super awkward for me, and um, it's also why Jed didn't want to be up here because it's like it's not about us. Who cares? Just say, hey guys, new guys are in. That's cool. Um, but I did. The more I've kind of thought about it, there's 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 three things that I wish I could have told myself in 2007. So God's taught me just a ton in my, in my time um, having the opportunity to serve this community. And so I wanted to kind of almost speak to my 2007 self, and then I wanted my 2020 self to give you four things um, from First Peter. So if you guys will just like indulge me, I want to share those, those things. Let me just pray real quick uh, and just really ask God to, to use this nonsense. Um, God, I love you, and um, we, we do, we, we, we praise your name, and God, um, I'm so glad that you give us a moment like this, and uh, I'm thankful for, for, this, for this ministry, I'm thankful for um, this church that gives time and money and space um, so that young adults and college students can have an environment where they can explore what it is to know you, Jesus, and grow deeper in their love for each other. And God, um, I pray that you use it to ignite a passion for the world. And um, God, that they would know you and that, Jesus, that you'd be famous in this generation. Um, Holy Spirit, I just pray for your moving and for your power at this moment. And God, would you just apply... Um, your word to our hearts, and I do pray that, Jesus, we leave with more affection for you tonight, and I ask these things in your name. So I want to quickly give you just kind of three things, and these are like, um, like in 2007 when I first got here, I was, I was really on a search for things that I didn't even know that I was on a search for, 
And so um, the, they're kind of like things that I wish, like if, the, if my 2007 self was sitting like right here at the table, these are things that I would say to them. And the first thing, and you can write these down. Hopefully this is not just cathartic for me and it actually is helpful for you, maybe. Um, but the first thing I'd say is that I'd say, I'd say Paul, you're, you're a son. So Romans 8.15 says, the spirit that you've received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit that you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba, if you've heard this verse taught before, you know, is a, is a very uh, kind of paternal feel. Like, so, like, it'd be like when your kids, uh, you know, like my kids, they, they, they don't call me Paul. Uh, they call me Daddy, right? And because they have, like, this very intimate relationship with me. So Abba is, like, the kind of word that just connotates a very deep, intimate relationship that you have. Galatians chapter 4 says this, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, so to, to redeem those under the law that we, might, that we might receive our adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. I need to tell the 2007 self that you are a son because during the season of my life, I was really on a search for identity. Um, and I was trying to find identity in all kinds of places and in all kinds of achievements. Um, and and, and it, just was, it just was a real mess. And it actually kind of culminated a few years ago because it, it took me a long time to really get this settled. And I was I had reached a place in my faith where I just had serious doubts and, and um, very insecure in my identity. The voice of doubt was growing louder and louder and louder to the point where I'm leading a ministry. I was invited to uh, be one of the lead pastors of a, of a large church, and I, my faith just felt like it was in an f- absolute free fall. And I, I, didn't, I didn't know. I was like, am I even saved? I, I don't even know. And I just kind of had my, all my sin and all this mess was just kind of all around me. And I didn't understand um, that I was completely accepted and approved. I had all the access to God that I could ever want and ever need. And I was just kind of unraveling, really. And I had... Sp- Spent a lot of time trying to talk to different people, trying to pray. I don't know if you've ever been in a season in your life where you felt like I'm trying to pray, but it just doesn't feel like words are getting out of the room, like they're just kind of stuck, like right here. And um, it, I was just in a free fall. I went to this conference, and it was kind of an ecumenical conference. There were a lot of different um, churches represented there, a lot of different denominations and stuff represented there. And I sat in this conference for two days. In the final session, somebody got up and they were talking, praying, or talking, preaching, teaching on the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of their talk, they said, okay, now we're just going to ask for the Holy Spirit. And um, and I was almost just was like, I'm just going to like leave because I'm, I, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do that. And I don't know if you've ever been in, like, a really large environment with a lot of different people from different denominations and, like, um, when they do something like this, when they pray for the Holy Spirit, but it got weird quick. Like, it got super weird. Like, people were over here making a bunch of noises. One guy's, like, laughing hysterically. People are literally rolling in the aisles. And I was like, this is a zoo. This is the, this is the last thing that I need right now because I've, all I'm doing is I'm asking God, begging God, and I had a very simple prayer. And I just said, God, I just need to know that I'm yours. I just need to know that. Like that very basic. I don't need to know all this other stuff. I just need to know that I'm yours. And I have crazy ADD anyway. And so the room is 
immensely distracting to me. And so I just put my, my face in my hands, and I'm just, like, praying, like, wrestling with God. Like, you got to tell me if this is it or not. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, like, praying, and I don't want to pick my head up out of my hands because I'm distracted, and I don't want to see it. And this, somebody came by. I have no idea who this person was. And he came by, and he put his arm around me, and um, he was a way taller guy than me, if you can imagine that. And uh, he just kind of got low and put his, like, mouth, like, right to my ear, and he says, God wants you to know that he loves you. And this is weird, but it's my last seven ten, so I can tell the story. Um, but my hands got like crazy hot, and my face like caught on fire, and my lips like got real numb. Like I don't know if you ever have you ever taken a nine volt and like stuck it on your tongue, I can test it. But my whole my lips just kind of got like that, and it was like this. It felt like you know when you like uh, fade a light up, and then like it was like that. It was like my body just got like electric, warm, like. And then it just kind of slowly kind of went, and it just absolutely broke me. Now, I've got a million, like, there's a skeptical side. I was like, well, that guy's probably walking around the whole room saying, hey, God loves you. I mean, that's like a thing to say. But I was talking to a friend, and he said, why would God not say that to you? Why would that not be a specific thing? And it's exactly what you, what you asked for. Um, so I would tell 2007, like, you are a son, and you have all the rights and privilege of a son of a king. The second thing would I, would, that I would need to tell 2007 Paul is that you are, you're a shepherd. In Ezekiel chapter 34, I have all the text. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm, I'm, I'll just kind of synthesize it. In Ezekiel chapter 34, it's this passage um, about God is rebuking these shepherds, and he's saying, look, you have all these sheep, and you take, uh, you take the wool, and you take them to eat, but you don't do anything to, to feed them. And God's rebuking, um, essentially, the, these leaders in Israel over comparing them to these shepherds. He's like, you, you're just taking advantage of your sheep, but you're not really taking care of them. And because I was on a search for identity, I was also on a search for acceptance. And my acceptance was found in um, feeding on the people that I was supposed to be serving. Not literally, but um, that would be a lot to confess tonight. <laughs> um, but, but feeding off of their approval and their acceptance. And so instead of serving people, I was, I was trying to use them. I wrote a note down to myself as like, don't be a vampire, be a blood donor. Um, because I was like a, I was like a vampire. Yeah, I know. That was a weird thing. You rolled your eyes because it seems kind of weird, but that's what I thought. I was like, you're trying to suck life out of people that you're supposed to be leading in the ways of life and pointing to the ways of, of, of Jesus. Um, and the, and, and, and the last thing that I would tell my 2007 self um, would be that you are, are sent. And that's because I was on a search for, I was on a search for purpose. Um, Jeremiah 29.7 says, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. And pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Because I was not clear in my identity, because I was not clear on that I was fully accepted, um, and because, you know, I had a role that God had given me, 
I was not clear on like where I where I was supposed to be, and and I know like in this particular age stage, this is something that you're wrestling with. Like, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? I, the very first time I ever went to Ethiopia, I went into this small little village, and there was this couple from North Carolina that had been working there, and he was an optometrist, and his wife was there, and they were kind of helping. They had like a little eye clinic thing and a little like kind of orphanage they had set up, and so I'm walking around this village with this woman, and she's telling the story about how they got there, and she starts to talk about just how difficult it was when they had moved from North Carolina to this village in the middle of nowhere, Ethiopia, and it's like abject poverty like third world, like crazy, crazy poor. And just how difficult this kind of transition was. And she said, I was walking around the village and um, really wrestling with God. I was really having a hard time here. I wanted to go home. I wanted to leave. And she's like, I felt God say to me, love the land you walk on. And as she's telling me this, it's like, I felt like God just said that to me through her. Because I was like, okay, do I leave? Do I go somewhere else? What do I do? Because I'm not getting, like, the approval that I need. I'm not feeling the acceptance. I'm not feeling, like, all the stuff that I need to get out of, like, where I was in Arizona or where I was with 710, all that stuff. And it's like God just audibly said, like, where I have placed you, where your foot goes is the place that you are to be a blessing. Your, your sense. So, Maybe these things kind of help you. Again, that might have been just a whole exercise for me that you had to sit through. I'm really sorry. But that's what I would say to the 2007, that you, you don't need to seek for your identity because it's found in Jesus. All the acceptance that you desire and that you ever need is found in the person of Jesus. And your purpose is all wrapped up in the person of Jesus. Now, I want to say something super quick to the 2020 you um, from 2020 me. This is going weird. So um, the number, number one thing um, that I want you to know, and, and I'm going to say this on behalf of Jed as well too, is that I love you. I love you and I'm like so for you. I have a hopeful, expectant optimism for this ministry. I always, always have. I've always thought it's the it's like the best thing that our church can do because I so believe um, in the potential and the passion um, of, of, this, of this generation. And, and um, the way that you guys have, you know, when we were doing retreats and we didn't know what we were doing, but you guys were like total gamers for it. You know, when, when we would do things like a trip to Alaska, and so many of you have gone, and we're like, we don't really know what we're doing, but we think we can take 30 people to the middle of nowhere, and they'll survive, and we have so far, so that's good, um, but there are just all these things kind of along the way where we didn't really know what we were doing, um, but you guys were like, okay, we're going to go. We're, we'll go. We'll go with you, and so I've really believed that, but I have my vision for 710, and I believe that this is a vision that the team is going to carry forward, is that you can be a counterculture community in your generation for the fame of Jesus and for the good of the world. That it, you don't have to look like everybody else in your generation. You don't have to go to school the same. You don't have to work the same. You don't have to date the same. You don't have to 
do everything that the culture is out there doing and tells you that you need to do. You can be counterculture for the fame of Jesus and for the good of the world. And so I have a hopeful expectation that you'll lead the way in all of life, being all for Jesus, that your lives would have as an anthem that Jesus is better, that message that I just feel like God has given me to stand in the gap. So I want to give you four things real quick from the book of 1 Peter. So if you have a Bible, open to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to move through this stuff just, just real quick. But this is, so Peter's writing to the church, and he's He's writing to them on how to stand firm on the day of judgment. So basically, like, how do you live your life in light of the, the day when you stand before Jesus? And, and there, there's a book uh, by a guy named Stephen Covey. You've probably read it if you've taken a business class or whatever, but it's Seven Highly Effective Habits or Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, and one of those is living with the end in mind. So like looking, and the Puritans kind of have a uh, phrase that they would use, it's called uh, look unto your death. Basically, it's just like you're living like this day with the last day in mind. And what Peter's trying to teach the church here is saying like in an age and in a culture that wants to deconstruct faith and deconstruct the church, how can your generation be a part of what God is building in the church? And so in 1 Peter chapter 4, um, look what he says in verse 7. Um... Am I in the right place? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he says this. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. So the first thing that Peter is kind of charging the church and the first thing that I'd want to charge you with is to be a people of prayer. Prayer connects us to God. It changes our hearts. It brings God into things. And Peter, a lot of scholars believe that he's so concerned about prayer because if you remember, if you've never heard in Peter's life, there's this moment, uh, Peter's a follower of Jesus at the end of his life. Uh, or at the end of Jesus' life, Jesus brings Peter into the garden before his crucifixion. He says, okay, I want you to stay here, and I want you to watch, and if you know the story, watch and pray. So Peter gets selected, special by Jesus, come here into the garden, watch and pray. And then Jesus comes back, and he finds Peter asleep, and he says to him, he's like, you couldn't even, you couldn't even stay awake for an hour you couldn't, you couldn't pray for, for one hour with me. And so a lot of scholars believe that Peter, the reason that he writes this is because it's, it's the moment of, one of the moments of his deepest shame for Peter. So he's writing to the church. He's like, do not sleep. Do not sleep on what God is doing in and through your generation. Because God wants to share his heart with you and shape history through you. People who prioritize their lives around the presence of God. And prayer is the means by which you do that. So if you've noticed over the last kind of, I guess, year or so, prayer has become an important part component to our gatherings together. There's a prayer room that we use um, before 710 starts. Um, it's just something that, and the, the team, that the, the, the leadership team, um, prayer is a major part of what they do together. It is a major part of what we will do together. Um, and, 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 and so Peter is saying, and I want to just kind of charge you with to be a community of prayer. Every major revival movement has had its origins through a small group of intercessors that are faithfully crying out to God. Small gatherings of prayer lead to large breakthroughs of the Spirit of God. So the first thing I want to charge you with is, is prayer. The second thing is love. Look at verse 8. 
Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. That word deeply, some translations have this word fervently, but it's the image of an athlete that's sprinting towards a finish line. So I've never run a race, so I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I've seen this on TV or like pictures of it. Actually, I've seen my wife run quite a few, like half marathons and stuff like that. And for whatever reason, runners, when they get to the end, like no matter what the race is, they just kind of go all out at the end and they just try to like kill themselves like giving everything at the end because you want to finish as strong as you can they give everything that they have and it's the same uh idea that that peter is trying to communicate to the church he's like stretch out stretch out yourself in love which is extremely difficult Right, so if you're like really want to love somebody, I'm not just talking about like the people that are easy to love, easy to love. I'm talking about, um, I'm talking about loving the people that are difficult to love. I'm, I'm talking about the type of New Testament Jesus love where he says, "Love your your enemies," and if you're not stretching in love, then then it's not really the kind of love um, that the Bible is talking about, and 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 it's difficult. For us, because not everybody is, is easy to love. But we live in a society, and you have a culture that lives um, by contracts and not covenants. And here's what I mean by that You're, they're looking for the best deal with the least amount of commitment. The, the reason why certain dating apps or constructs or things like that like work so well is because they appeal to that. What it, what's the easiest on-ramp and what's the easiest off-ramp in relationships? And that's not the covenantal love that the Bible teaches that Jesus invites us into. And so I'm, I'm, my charge to you is that you would be a community that has a deep abiding love for one another. And in and, and, and verse 3, Peter, and we'll look at it in just a second. In, in verse 3 of chapter 4, Peter's laying out all these kind of practices. They're practices of the self that, that are all about you. And he's saying, just move away from those things. Don't even go back to them because move into the way of love, which is all about others. The, the way of the world, the way of the culture that's perpetuated to you is consume as much as you can for self-pleasure. No matter what you have to take from other people, um, from other experiences, like take all of it for self-pleasure. But the church is built by our example, who's Jesus, which is a life that is being consumed by the, for the fame of Jesus and for the good of others. So my charge to you is that you'd be a community of prayer, a community of fervent, stretched out love for each other. And then next thing um, that Peter says here in verse nine is hospitality. Look at verse nine. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, why does Peter say do this or don't, don't grumble when you do this? Because we tend to grumble when we, when we do this. The, the word hospitality there, it actually means love of the stranger. How many of you just love strangers? Like, if you do, it's because you're strange. But like, we don't really love strangers and we don't love things that are strange to us. Um, but Jesus says, if you provide food or shelter or clothing to other people, he says, you're actually doing it to me. Hebrews says, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers because some of you, you might actually be entertaining angels and you don't know about it. 
what the Bible is saying is like you've actually facilitated supernatural encounters with the divine. You're not even, you don't even know. You're not even aware of it. Um, so scripture portrays the welcoming of another as an encounter with the, with the divine. And the whole idea of what following Jesus is, it's that we're, we're converting those who are enemies into friends, into brotherhood and sisterhood, because that's what Jesus had done. So my charge is that you'd be a community of prayer, that you're partnering with God, that you, that you are a community of love, that you're stretched out, and that you'd open your hearts and your tables to other. And then lastly, he says in verse 10, he says this. He says, um, he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with strength that God provides so that in all things Christ might be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Gifts are these supernatural things that God provides uh, that display the grace of God that make him manifest or made known in humans. And when people use the gifts that God has given them, you see more of God. Now, a church that's built only on natural kind of things, like, oh, they've got a great space, or they've got a good communicator, or they've got great sound, or they've got, you won't see the grace of God in all its beauty. But if you trust the Holy Spirit and who God's made us to be, and we bring our gifts to serve and love others, the church is a thing of beauty. Now, all those things, there's no problem with those things. If, the, if, if, you, ha- if you have those natural things, but if you're void of the Holy Spirit, it's kind of a waste of time, and you're missing, you're missing the beauty um, of the grace of God. And if you're not sure, like, okay, I don't even know what my gift would be, the way that you discover them is in the context of community and serving others. And if you use your gift, the Bible says that God will provide you the strength for it. And when you do what, the, what, the, what God has made you to do, your spirit's on fire, and you're empowered by God. So my charge is that you would be a community of prayer, of love, of hospitality, that you would use your gifts um, for the good of the entire church, and that you would see your place as, as extremely important in the, in the body of Christ. And all of this is important for this reason. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Verse 1. This is, this is why this stuff matters. This is, this is what Peter says. Is Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join in them in their, in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Now, most of the opposition, so Paul, he, or Peter is talking to a church in their context, they're under persecution. Most of the opposition that we receive as Christians in the West and this day, we, some ridicule, we might get ostracized a little bit, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the day is coming in the West, where Christians will receive serious opposition, you, your generation, if you're going to stand and you're going to say, Jesus is Lord, you are going to encounter suffering. You're going to encounter opposition. And, and some of you, it might be things like you won't get the job that you want because the HR department has looked through your social media or looked at your online platform, and they've seen what you've posted, and they've seen those comments, and, and you be, they'll see that you're a Christian, and you'll be disqualified from getting the job that you want. And I would just say, whatever. It's not worth freaking out over. 
the key is to be resolved when it happens because Paul's, uh, Peter says, arm yourself with the same attitude of Jesus. What he's teaching here is he's saying that kind of suffering, that kind of opposition is a weapon that disarms the powers of darkness and it glorifies God. The early church conquered the world through this. They were tortured and the church loved their enemies. They conquered through love. And in a culture that is deconstructing faith and deconstructing the church, stand firm in the testing of your faith, full confidence that God is building his church that will not fail. And if you stand firm in your faith, which I, that's my prayer for you and for your generation, you will be misunderstood. You will be ridiculed. You will be shamed for your faith. You will be made to think that there's something wrong with you because of your faith in Jesus. And what Peter is saying, don't freak out. Stand firm and look to Jesus. Psalm 34, 5, those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. They heaped abuse on Jesus and the call to be misunderstood is the joy in participating in the fellowship of Jesus. Jesus loved like no one else ever has. He told the truth with such conviction and such passion and such intimacy with God and such supernatural power that they crucified him. So what do you think if you're loving and seeking the power of God and you have a heart of God, that you, do you think that you'll avoid being treated the way that Jesus was treated? Because you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity, this community, this ministry, your generation, you have an opportunity to take up the cross of Christ in your generation. That is the invitation of Jesus. Forget what I say. It doesn't matter. Or, or whoever else comes up here. But what Jesus is saying is, join me. Because there are things that are in the world that are, are worse than having the world disown you or abuse you. There are worse experiences than that, like compromising your soul. So don't freak out when they hate you because Jesus is on the throne. The church is alive. The spirit of God is moving with power. And if Peter, the guy who wrote this letter, if he was here tonight, he'd say, look, here's the message. Be holy in a sinful and trivial culture. Because God has so much more than you. There's freedom and there's peace and there's joy and there's grace and forgiveness. And Peter would just say, look, all those false gods that never fail to fail you, walk away from those things and enjoy God and live in light of the day that you will see him. Um, we're going to continue. We're going to do some more worship in just a second. But I want to just invite us um, to pray together, um, and there's a few things I'll give you to pray for. And, and I realize it might be kind of weird for you to pray with the people around your table, but I want to, this is not meant to make anybody feel weird. This, we just so believe that this is the most important thing that we can do when we gather, is to pray and to really ask God to, to move like only he can. So I want to and, and invite you to pray. Pray for uh, this ministry in the next year and what God would do and what have um, you can pray for each other during this time. So maybe you just want to say, hey, I just, I'm really struggling. I got this stuff going on in life. I just really need prayer. Um, you can pray for Shannon and Corey and Connor and Elisheba just as they kind of transition and move into leading. Um, you can pray for the places that God has you and the people that God has you around, especially those who do not yet know Jesus, and that God might give you boldness and confidence and love. You can pray that God would make us a praying community and pray that God would stretch us in love. You can pray that God would make this a place of hospitality. Um, you can pray that God would allow us to use our gifts um, in ways that make Jesus famous 
and uh, that build this church. So let's spend some time together just at your table, just kind of praying, and then uh, Jen and Connor will lead us out and worship for the rest of the night. I've been staring at a rose.